Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 94. You guys have no idea. I'm planning the most exciting, wonderful thing for episode 100. We're just a few episodes away. I have assembled an incredible panel of storytellers and doctors and therapists and people to talk all about Jesus and trauma. So that is going to be coming your way for episode 100, and it's going to be special. Today's episode is also very special. Since we are currently in the immediate aftermath of a US election, which has been fraught with controversy, according to some, and since the Spirit keeps prompting me to to speak up about certain things, and since it seems to cause a lot of problem with people, I thought we should have a discussion all about politics and various things related to that. So I leaned on the closest expert I know, and that would be my wife, Maya. Maya has a bachelor's in political science, specializing in public policy and administration. Essentially, that means how to create policies that address complex issues learning to analyze all the factors that contribute to a given topic. That's what she did her undergrad in, and then she did her master's in development and international cooperation, specializing in political science. Her thesis was all about power and language. So today, that's a bunch of stuff that we talk about. We talk about abortion, we talk about US politics, we talk about Canadian politics, international, a bunch of different stuff. So wherever you are in the world, you will find something relevant for you today. And of course, she loves Jesus, just like I do. She's a full-time analyst at the University of Waterloo, and everything that I do here is because she lets me do it. So let's get into it. Well, this is, this is fun. I'm excited that we are finally doing this. My guest today is the only one of my guests on the podcast that I've seen naked. Oh my gosh. <laughs> At least I'm pretty confident that's true. She hope did. So. I hope so. <laughs> she came prepared for this interview with six pages of printed notes. <laughs> I am very excited to welcome to the podcast Maya Puddle. Maya McLeod, Maya Lisa is her full first name, Maya Lisa Puddle, my wife, my best friend. Thank you for joining me on the show, my dear. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, yeah, I don't know how I agreed to do this, but I did. <laughs> I always thought if I did come on your show, I would plan to talk about parenting or marriage or kids' church pastor. Nope. Something other than what we're planning to talk about today. So we're going to talk about U.S. politics, and we're going to talk about abortion, and we're going to talk about the kingdom, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we are going to talk about a bunch of different things because it just really felt from the Spirit like this was necessary. Somebody wrote to me yesterday and said, why do you post such divisive things about politics? And I thought to myself, that's actually really fascinating because I don't like being divisive. I don't like conflict. You know that full yeah. well. <laughs> I don't like conflict and historically I haven't handled it very well. But uh, so, the, so the answer to the question, why am I posting these things? Well, I want to say two things. One, if you've seen me post in the last couple of weeks, I, I, I'm going to read out the text of one of the things I posted. But really, it's since, since the U.S. election. Uh, I have posted a couple of things that I've felt very 
heavily burdened by the Holy Spirit to share. If you want to know why I'm posting these things, that is the simplest answer I can give you, because I felt burdened of the Holy Spirit to do so. I know this stuff causes arguments, and I take zero pleasure or joy in that. It's horrible, actually. I have to be very disciplined on how I engage with this stuff, and I hate the way that people attack one another and the horrible things people say to one another, so I don't do it lightly, and I don't do it joyfully. Honestly, I feel like I'm like, God, give me a rest. But here's the second thing. I know, and you know, Mm -hmm. that there are people out there who have been watching the leaders of the public church in the United States and in Canada and elsewhere, charismatic evangelicals, all kinds, are watching these leaders and are saying things like, am I taking crazy pills? Because what's being said about God and what is being acted out about the character of God, none of us can reconcile. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's painful and destabilizing. And, and so to those people who have been watching with great confusion and pain the last four years and, and more, and even when we talk in, a, in the broader context about the injustices of the world for centuries, right. I feel that it's important to give hope to those other people out there saying, surely God isn't violent. Surely God isn't vengeful. Surely God isn't like the, this picture that we keep seeing, on, especially, especially as a result of the marriage of politics and church. Yep. Right. And so that's my burden, is to, to try and bring hope to those people and, and really just to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So if you're asking, like somebody asked me yesterday, why are you posting this stuff? That's why. So here's what I posted. <laughs> you should see the conversations that happen in my house because Maya will, will say things to me like, what have you done now? <laughs> we'll start getting texts from people. And I'm like, oh no, what are they talking about? <laughs> so here's what I posted the other night. Is Jonathan okay? Is his heart okay? I saw what people are saying to him or about him. (laughs) See, that's really beautiful, though, because Mm. people care about me and they know that I'm tenderhearted. And we do get these texts. I get these texts. You know, are you doing okay? I saw what what that person said to you. The upshot is I just don't always read the things that people say to me. I figure if if I'm not drinking it, it's not going to affect me. Which is not strictly true, but it's helpful. So here, this is actually, for context, I was sitting in church with you. On Saturday night, the first time that you, you and I have been to church together since March. It was lovely, just being able to worship together and worship with people. And I eventually forgot I was wearing a mask and could worship. Yeah. I, I, I agree. It was wonderful. And towards the end of the meeting, and we just worshiped the entire time. Yeah, it was Laura, a worship service. Laura mm-hmm. Woodley Osman. You guys all need to be listening to Laura Woodley Osman. And I felt. I saw this thing in the spirit. And I know for some of you, this is going to sound a lot more charismatic than I normally do, but I'm just being myself here. We're just being (laughs) in my integrity. And this is what I posted to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everywhere else. I see in the spirit the binding of those principalities and powers that fooled many into believing that good could come through violent and traumatic means. That God's will could be done through any means other 
than others-centered self-sacrificial love. Maybe I should have stopped there. But that's maybe you should have. <laughs> but that's not what that would have been good. <laughs> maybe that's not what I felt to say. So I went on. Today we have seen the defeat of a bully, a strong man in the natural world, and I believe that defeat is but one manifestation of a victory taking place in the spirit. I believe God has said enough. I know for some this feels scary and chaotic, like your foundations are being shaken, like the way you thought the world worked is being called into question. If that's you, please know that I know exactly what that feels like, and I have nothing but compassion for you. I am praying for grace and comfort for you. May the church never fall into the trap of seeking power and influence for itself again. May those celebrating today's political victory not give to the next Caesar what is God's alone. May the Lord God be glorified in all things. Amen. So, uh, by the following morning, I had hundreds of uh, positive you know, likes and uh, shares and retweets and all that kind of stuff, as well as some of the most violent, horrible things said. Now, as I said, I didn't actually read them all. I didn't read many. Mm. Maya translated some for me, and I had various other family members and friends texting me going, oh my gosh, I can't believe what was said to you. Uh, <laughs> so, honey, what were some of the... Could you summarize just a couple of the kind of responses that came in that were not pleasant? Oh, I really only looked at a few of them before I had to turn it off too. Um, I think likening you to a baby killer was probably... I would say the worst. That sounds the worst to me. <laughs> that you're some sort of murderer. I'm just uh, drinking a nice cool glass of baby blood here on the couch. Doesn't even sound like a funny joke. No, it's not a funny joke. It's <laughs> disgusting. So, like, we are parents. We are foster parents. We are children's pastors. We love babies and kids. It's just so funny to me. It's tragic to me, and it's not, it's not funny. It's sad, it's tragic, and it's painful. So a lot of people unfortunately heard in what I said basically just a, like a, a blanket endorsement for the Democratic Party and a statement regarding abortion, which is fascinating to me because when I go back and read reread what I said, and I, and I reread it many times even before I sent it, as far as I'm concerned, I made a pretty significant statement about the spirit and about the character and nature of God. Mm. I said very little politically. I understand that what I said about God has political ramifications, and I, and I firmly believe that's important. It's fascinating in this moment how you say something, and then other people hear you say, I support Joe Biden, I support Kamala Harris, and specifically, I believe that those people are fantastic and that they are like the saviors of the world and that they will solve all problems and that uh, if they also believe in abortion, that that means I tacitly support abortion too and, and so on and so forth. And it just all begins to collapse from there. And I watched people kind of go back and forth and tried, some people defend me and some people defend what I said and other people just like attacking each other. Uh, it's horrific. I think it's so unnatural and it's terrible right now that we have this binary way of thinking that you're either in this camp or that and that's what makes up 
the camps. And in politics, we have, here in Canada, we only have four or five federal political parties. And it's just silly to think that me as a complex human being with all my stories, all my experiences, that I can identify somehow with one political party and that they encompass, I agree with or all of that. And that is my identity somehow. Yes. Okay, so my identity is in Christ. Political parties pick issues that they are going to focus on and a lens that they view the world. So let's say, okay, the conservatives, Yeah. they, um, in general, they like more hands-off government, like less regulation on business. Um, they would be a bit more less taxes. They're not as um, apt to spend money on more social programs or expand them. Right. They, they, I mean, they're they looking to conserve, right? Yeah. Like to keep things kind of the same, right? Like as a generally, if we're talking just about the, the conservative mentality, right? it's like, let's not rock the boat. Let's... And more traditional values. Right. Um, whereas like our liberal party, they would probably describe them more as investing in social programs and expanding those um, LGBTQ rights and they don't want to um, regulate abortion. They don't actually in Canada, no one wants to touch that topic. No, absolutely. Any of our political parties. It's political suicide in Canada to even talk about it. And we can go into that, but that's the big problem that both sides are so polarized that they can't even uh, talk about the topic at all or even put any regulations um, in place. Instead, it's just like you either support entirely or you don't. And because it's so polarized, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to touch it. And yeah. so that's left us that we have no regulation in that area, really, compared to what we could. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So then you've got, you know, your NDP, they're a bit more, um, they're called the New Democratic Party, and they lean towards more tightly regulating the economy. Um, Green Party, they focus on environmental stuff. You and I, we've voted probably four different parties in the four last elections. I, th I think so. Yeah. yeah. We're a little bit of oversharers, so we tell each other everything. But yeah. And I think we usually vote the same, but it's not, not but it's always, not always. No. And it's not always clear <laughs> until we come out of the booth. Exactly. Our own choices. Yeah. Our kids have strong opinions. They have very strong opinions. If Trust you, me, all of my children vote green. If you care <laughs> about our future and the earth that we are going to inherit from you, you have to vote green or you don't care about us at all, mummy. That's what we hear from them. It's true. Okay, so so he, he, I want to hear what you think about this theory. It might, I have, I've, been, I've been working through this idea that, I, okay, we know that God is involved in every sphere of our lives. We know that God cares about nations. When you look through scripture, hmm. it's clear that, that like nations and cities even and kind of like groups of people it's kind of like they have a mandate established. Like Israel was established to be a blessing to the nations. 
and to invite the nations to get to know God. And so I think you can draw that out. And even if we, when we look at history, we look at Canada's role in the world, we look at the United States' role in the world. I, I don't think it's crazy to see that, that certain nations are, are like given to the rest of the world as a gift, and they carry certain blessings and certain mandates. That's my first point. Maybe you think that's nutty, but I think that's kind of observable. You can go with that. Okay. The next point is that I, you know, Scripture invites us to pray for our leaders. Why? That it may go well in the land that we live in. And so at the very least, we can say, okay, well, we should pray for our leaders for peace and for wise government and for justice and, and so on and so forth. But I think that my, my, my sense is that for different periods of time, there's kind of like God has an interest in certain areas of injustice that he wishes to bring righteousness to within a certain cultural context or within a certain people group and so on. And so there may come a time in a city or in a nation or a state or province where the spirit is desirous that a certain kind of injustice be dealt with. And obviously God is always looking for all injustice to be dealt with, and that's what Jesus comes to do to transform the world. But it feels to me like God periodically will get kind of like an agenda in mind, or, or it's kind of like this issue has gone on long enough, no mm. further. Mm. And so it seems to me that like when, you're, when the humans are now doing our job of, of, of our governments, uh, and there's a segue that I want to make here, but I'll just continue this point to close it up, and then we can talk about the other thing that I want to think about, about systems of government and how government works. But it seems to me that basically our part of our mandate, our response to God's mandate is to then say, okay, let's find someone who will be obedient to the mandate of the Spirit in this hour and hopefully bring movement. Regardless of what their motivations are? Does that matter? Think? I think their motivations are certainly in play. Okay. But I think it's kind of like, can we tune into the voice of the Spirit and hear the Spirit say, you know what, um, it's really high time that, that this thing be dealt with. And I have been bringing awareness in hearts and minds and in consciences of people to this issue over a course of time. And so now the fullness of time has come for women to get the right to vote. The fullness of time has come for slavery to be overturned. The fullness of time has come for X matter to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. And so we could elect anybody and hopefully whoever it is that we elect will be able to move with the flow of the Spirit, whether they even have any idea of that or not, to move forward in the mandates of the Spirit and bring certain change in the land. Not, it's not even change in the land, because the change is what the Spirit has been doing in our hearts over a course of time. It's now actually just bringing our laws to reflect the, the transition of our hearts over the, the seasons that God has been working in. But what happens is that we, we can then put somebody into in our government, and they may go against the grain of what the Spirit is doing. Or they may go 
perhaps with a general flow of what the Spirit is doing, but the rest of their personal faults, the rest of the flaws present within their party, the rest of the matter is all still there too. And so maybe they do incrementally move us, um, move our laws towards what the Spirit has been doing in our hearts, but uh, they also cause all kinds of damage. They also mm -hmm. go against the flow of the Spirit in all manner of ways and do all kinds of evil at mm -hmm. the same time. I know I've said a lot of words, <laughs> but that is kind of what I'm feeling. What do you think? What, what, what happens in your head? Do you think any of that's crazy? I can or? pretty much get behind that. I mean, God uses anyone and everyone. And he's at work all the time. Um, if any of us needed to be perfect for God to use them, probably wouldn't be able to use anyone unless, you know, you think you're perfect. I don't know. I don't <laughs> think you're perfect. She doesn't think I'm perfect. Uh-uh. In the Bible, God spoke through a donkey. Yes. So there's that too. Um, you know, one of my favorite uh, little things I always say, we all see and hear in part. Totally. But yeah, so for sure, I feel like God is um, working and bringing things to light. And yes, uses people in power, uses people... Um, in every sphere. So yes, I do get behind that. I can, can agree. Okay, talk to me. But um, yeah. I do think it's dangerous to then assume that politics or government is like Christian and mm -hmm. there's a Christian party or a Christian way of doing things or a Christian view. Yes. I think that, I think that is wrong. And I think that's a dangerous assumption that comes from then spiritualizing um, spiritualizing politics. Yes, yes, categorically. So that was the next thing that I said that got me into trouble. And this is, wasn't oh, even yeah. from me. This was just a quote that I reshared from somebody else. But uh, this is from Chris Green, who is a theologian, Dr. Chris Green. Uh, and he said yesterday in, in a Zoom call that I was on, basically the Holy Spirit comes, yes, to point us to Christ, comes to reveal who it is that Jesus of Nazareth really is, who, that he is the eternal Son of God. Uh, the Holy Spirit also uh, mm. works to transform us into people like Christ, and not just like Christ in a general sense that he like goes around doing good works, but specifically that, that he would make us cruciform that mm. we would lay down our lives mm. for, for love. And then what Chris said finally was that any other use of the Holy Spirit's power, especially you know, the, to leverage the Spirit to gain political power, is fundamentally blasphemous. Right, because power is like self-seeking and, yeah, get that. Yeah, corrupts. Mm -hmm. It corrupts power, corrupts everyone except Christ. And even in Christ, we see him be very selective about how he uses power, right? Like essentially. He used it to serve and like lay down his life and love and give of himself. Exactly. It's very different than what we see in the political sphere. Like the right. Son of Man came to serve, not be served. The Son of Man came to be killed, not to kill. Mm hmm. And so I really kind of, I think we both kind of reject this idea 
that in order for God's purposes to be done in a land, that means we need to elect Christians to all the positions of power. I'm a Christian. I used to want to run for politics. I still might one day. And I think if I was elected, there's a lot of things that, a lot of opinions I hold that other Christians would think are not Christian and wouldn't agree. <laughs> so does that mean that you do hate babies? No, I'm addicted to babies. Did you ever hear that? So when we had, we had three kids all under the age of four. And I had, every time I'd see a certain friend that I hadn't seen for a while, and I'd come and I'd have a new baby. And I got asked so many times, so are you addicted to having babies? You're addicted to babies. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Okay. I want to talk, I want to talk about babies very, very soon. But first I want to, <laughs> can you explain to me how democratic government works? So it's kind of the best system we have on earth um, other than, well, God's kingdom is perfect, right? He's a king. It's a kingdom. He knows how to love and he has infinite resources, infinite love and wisdom and can do things so perfectly. But for humans, we have democracy where we elect people on our behalf to make decisions. They represent us and it's majority rules and they look at the population, the populace, they take a lot of viewpoints into consideration and from there um, make decisions that are supposed to be uh, the best possible decision for the most for the most people. Right. Try to be fair. There's, you know, notions of fairness and quality representation. Yeah. yeah. So it's not, you can't say like that it's Christian because like God's kingdom doesn't look like that, right? There's like right. a God perfect doesn't take votes. father and he knows how to do everything perfectly. Yes. Yeah. Right. So it's like, okay, if your designer knows you perfectly inside and out, Mm-hmm. And actually created life out of nothing. So he is the eternal expert on life. Does it make sense to empower anyone other than him? Right. Yeah, I get that. Generally not, right? So, okay. So it seems to me that God, and God doesn't use his power, as we just said, over others. He uses his power under others. God Mm -hmm. doesn't reach out and seize the rod of power. He gets on his knees with a towel and washes our feet and Mm -hmm. transforms our heart that way. He does it low and slow. Gently, too. Gently. I like that description. And so, you know, what we see is that uh, any attempt to use power over other people, to rule them other than to serve from underneath, is toxic to the, to the human. And it seems to me toxic to all of creation. Mm. Okay, that's a strong word, but I was just saying democracy is like the best thing we have. Okay, okay, Churchill, yes. It is the best thing that we have, right? But, but, but um, well, unless we the have God. The system we have. So here's what Churchill said. It's a pretty famous quote, okay. uh, and this is from 1947, right? So like this is post-World War II. Many forms of government have been tried and will be tried in this world of sin and woe. No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all-wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. The best of the worst. The best of the worst. Okay. Right? So it's like this is a system that requires us to give certain people power over others with the intent that those people with power over others are listening to others and then taking their needs up to the next level and that ultimately what's happening at the top levels of government is representative of what the people have wanted. Yeah, and then we have things in place like we have an opposition party that holds 
the party in power to account. Um, people can write their MPs and be active participants. There's many different channels and ways that politicians can keep their ear to the ground and stay connected. And the average person, there's avenues for them to be con- connected and involved as well. So it's what's fascinating to me is that here in North America, it definitely feels kind of like the attitude is it doesn't matter who you vote for, the government always gets elected. Like there's this general cynical apathy that says all the government is trying to do is tell me what to do, and I don't want any part of that. Yeah, and I do think some of that stems from the way our political system is set up, how we vote people in, it's not as representative as other systems around the world. Um, our parties, to be honest, like our parties are all pretty similar. They're not like in the states, like in the Democrats and Amer- uh, Republicans, sorry, are very polarized. Whereas here, um, yeah, I can see some people saying like, it doesn't really matter. And yeah, we've lived, so we've lived in Finland. I think we were there five and a half years and we saw a different uh, way of governing there where there was many parties, much more than there are here, nine plus parties. And they would, each time there's an election, there's a coalition. It's often between three parties that get the most votes. And the viewpoint there in Finland was, if you're a politician, your job is to work and to collaborate and work together with the other politicians and come up with policies for the nation. So there wasn't so much, um, what am I trying to say? So here in Canada, it feels like you know, the liberals want to do something and the conservatives oppose it. Or the conservatives want to do something, the liberals oppose it. Sure, like, like, like let's just say that like it's the liberals right. have an agenda that's viewed as independent of liberal voters in Canada. It's not like the Canadians want this. It's like the Liberal Party wants this. It's right. kind of the way it feels. Right? They have, they are, do have their own interests, right? To stay in power, to regain power, to expand their power. Yeah. So in Finland, it as was, do any, as do any party. Liberals is one example. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. We just keep saying liberals because they're the ones in power right now. But yeah, in Finland, the coalition governments were, they just needed to work together. And when you talk to friends, they would just be shocked to hear about how governments are in other places and well why do you just not vote them back in or can't you hold them accountable and actually Finland while we were there I don't know if this stat has changed but they had some of the highest trust in their government so 70 percent trust that their government was doing a good job and so and we just saw that trickle down to people's behavior and the way they talked about government and social programs and yeah it was quite different it kind of gave us pause for things could be different than what we were used to. Totally. Earlier you'd said how, how kind of absurd it is that we boil like one perspective down, right? That, that, or that we consider that a person can be identified as like a single political party, right? Mm. Given how, how complex and how many opinions that we have, right? Like I, for example, generally think that small government, if we're just talking about size, Okay, I know that small government usually means other practical things in people's minds. So turn that off for a minute. I would generally say less bureaucracy is better than more bureaucracy, right? Like Mm. bureaucracy is awful. So let's say small government generally is going to be better than big government. I am in favor of things like freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Uh, I, I want generally a government that permits freedom 
within the society for people to go and live out the lives that they feel called to live by the Spirit. Right. But, but, that, but, but just to say that means that I'm in favor of conservative small government and l less restrictions on business, while also saying that I'm in favor of open laws, like decriminalizing drugs, decriminalizing various other different things, so that uh, a wider society can function. So even just to say the basic freedoms that I want people to have, there is no one party that remotely represents those things. No, and you can interpret that differently and just how it's implemented, right? So yeah. like one party maybe does tax more because they want to expand social programs. But you like social programs, don't you? I do like social programs. Very much I like social programs. What about needing to tax you more so that we could expand health care? You want all your fellow citizens to have access to health care. Yes, I am happy to pay higher taxes than non if I know that my tax dollars are helping education, helping health care, helping whatever that like serves my country and my fellow citizens. Like, Yes, that's a value I have. Wouldn't would you want regulation in those areas as well? I would certainly want... Well, here, I think I do want regulation on, on corporations because corporations essentially just are driven by greed. And so I, I do want certain protections against greed. Also, I find myself really kind of in favor of public-private partnership because I don't generally trust bureaucracy to do a job as well as private enterprise can do a job. So I actually, like... I have this really strong distrust of corporations, but I also trust a corporation to do things more efficiently than the private sector, and or the public sector rather. <laughs> Am I getting my terms and wrong here? So I want both. Yeah, makes sense to me. And you want uh, gun ownership in Canada regulated? I want it regulated for sure. Okay. Like obviously, like I, I'm not opposed to people owning guns, but I don't. I I, I do I do want rules in place about who needs and wants a gun and what they have to go through to get one. And would you agree with progressive taxing? So you make more money and you get charged taxes at a higher percentage than someone who makes less? As a general statement, yes, I'm in favor of that. But there's got to be checks and balances. Just be like, uh, like we know, for example, plenty of people who like who on paper make a lot of money or whose parents made a lot of money, but because of the real expenses of that person's family or their profession, they didn't actually have spare money because of like real valid reasons, not just because of spending it all away. So I don't think it's just as simple as saying like you make more money, you get more tax. I think there has got to be ways to work out. Mm -hmm. And would you agree with opening our doors in Canada to immigrants from other countries who are trying to escape their country for whatever reason, violence, and come live somewhere peaceful? Certainly. Maybe I, well, you should tell the audience, too, that you are an immigrant. I am an immigrant. I'm an immigrant to Canada. I also almost immigrated to Finland. I am absolutely pro-refugees. Like I think it's really scripturally obvious that we're meant to care for people in suffering. I'm generally pro-immigration, but uh, I do think it's sensible to, again, have checks and balances in place on immigration. I think that uh, culturally, again, when I talked about the kind of the blessing or the mandate of a nation, I think it's valuable to work out what it is that makes your nation who you are culturally, and that that you are helping people come to appreciate and benefit. Like, multiculturalism 
I think has its, has its really downside, especially when it's kind of married into like globalism, mm-hmm. that the end result of one of those kind of liberal multicultural globalist paths is an entire world that tastes like nothing because everybody's uniqueness gets erased. And I think in the kingdom, that is categorically not what we see, that there's a celebration of diversity. Diversity and plurality. That a plurality doesn't mean people aren't able to be who they are, because I think that's that's certainly what some people have observed happening in Canada, is that pluralism has actually just meant the erasure of all identities. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what we're about at all. So basically, going back to everything you described... So who am I? You could actually vote for any of the big parties in Canada. Okay. But what you'd have to end up doing is choosing one or two issues that are the most important to you, and then which one do they align with. Right. And that's what happens. Right. That's what people do. They choose what means the most to me. Yes. And you kind of end up voting based on a single issue. Which seems to be really frustrating because like, like, on paper I would then say like, no, I don't want to be a single issue voter. Those people are the noisy, angry people outside. But you know when you go in and you don't vote for anyone, it doesn't get counted. In Canada it doesn't. No. It may in other places. Yeah, it may in other places. That used to drive me crazy about Canada. So I've run polls. I've been a poll manager a few times. And at the end of the night, polls get counted and they give me the results and I call them in and I always... Just say, you know, how many votes did each of the parties or members get? And I never tell them how many people declined to vote because they didn't like the options. Because they don't ask the question, yeah. right? You, it's not no something field. that gets reported. Right. There's no, there's no box for you to put that number into. Yeah. It's collected. I'm sure you could dig it up, but it's right. not reported. Yeah. Okay. So single issue voting brings us to abortion and the accusation that because of what I said about the Holy Spirit saying enough to this evil marriage of church and politics, and we see this insane uh, evangelical and charismatic bias towards the Republican Party, and specifically to Trump, which is so, so, so crazy when you just stop to think that all these same evangelical leaders 20 years ago were condemning uh, Bill Clinton for his moral failures, Right, like right. V- violently and vocally condemning Bill Clinton. Okay, like because so here's context. My grandfather was a big supporter of Bill Hybels back in the day. Hybels, uh, as many will know, has gone down in flames in his own uh, moral failure scandal. Bill Hybels had been an advisor to multiple presidents, mm. and uh, my grandfather went to a conference at Willow Creek, where. Hybels invited Bill Clinton as his guest. And in the immediate aftermath of that, Hybels received so much criticism and attack from his conservative uh, base. How dare he bring that sinner Bill Clinton into the house of God and put him up on stage and have a conversation with him at a Christian conference. Fast forward to today. where Christians those Christians are so good at being loving. Where the well, yeah, that's a problem. Christians are not very loving. But fast forward today, where all of those voices of moral authority who 20 years ago stood up for the character of leaders today have thrown all their support behind Donald Trump. And it puzzles me to no end, but the general, when I've 
tried to sit down and listen to people, especially those who, who do, who have done so, but have done so a bit more moderately. What they've generally said is, well, yeah, we have concerns about him, but it seems that the best thing that we can do is, is to elect conservative-minded Supreme Court justices, that Trump will have the opportunity to put Supreme Court justices into place that will be able to move the nation towards laws that are we think are good, and most especially the one that gets held up is to potentially overturn Roe versus Wade and to recriminalize abortion in the United States. And that is sort of held up as, as why maybe you should consider voting for Donald Trump even if you didn't like other things about him. That that has kind of like been the motivational structure established for evangelicals in America. Tracking with me? I am. And I don't even know what to say first because... I'm like just rolling my eyes over here. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons to roll your eyes. Uh, I, I've been listening to a few podcasts and reading some stats, and it's fascinating because, first of all, again, like the reason that we talk about this, like we don't live in America. We don't have a horse running in this race. But uh, A, I've been accused by Canadians of uh, hating babies and so on and of, of being pro-abortion and that's a really easy statement, or being, being not pro-life. I care about the character of God. I care about injustice in the world. I care about people. I care about hearts and lives. I do care about the unborn. I also care about children in cages and immigrants and refugees. But how, like, with everything going on in the world, how does someone get off telling you that the most important issue that you vote on is abortion? Like, why does that trump? Why does like babies, fetuses trump the elderly or children being separated at the border who are in cages or any aged person who's struggling with access to health care or um, just needs a break with their, their job or needing to work three jobs because none of them pay benefits? Yeah. Like who decides who like... Just don't even understand the premise of that, of yeah. trying to box people into being single-issue voters and the single issue is abortion. Yeah, so he, this is fascinating too to me because I don't think abortion is actually the problem. You, uh, you almost got an abortion by accident. Okay. Tell us that story. <laughs> Honey, <laughs> that's a little too dramatic, okay? <laughs> but it's kind of true. Well, I wouldn't have done that, though. Obviously, but tell us the story. Um... Okay, so uh, Jonathan was on a work trip, and I found out I was pregnant, and we hadn't been trying to get pregnant, so it was a total surprise off left field, and it was very exciting surprise. I remember sending you a picture by email of the positive pregnancy test. Yeah, just, just for context, <laughs> you guys, I was in Toronto, Maya's in Finland, and I open my email before going to work, and all that's there is an email from her with the subject saying, you better call me when you get up, and a photo of a positive pregnancy test. That's it. That's the reveal. So in the meantime, <laughs> during that day, I was like, literally pregnancy had not been on her mind. So instead of Googling, I don't. I guess it wasn't as prevalent to Google then, I was like, I need to go we get didn't medical a... advice. Yeah. Yeah. So I walked to the hospital. It's probably a half an hour walk, but I walked there. And I went into, um, you know, they triage you. I said, I'm pregnant. So they sent me to this area. 
and I walked up to the nurse um, and I was like, I'm pregnant and I'm here. And she was like, looked up at me and like, um, is it planned? And I said, no, because it wasn't planned. And she did this big sigh and handed me a clipboard with a questionnaire to fill out. So I took my questionnaire and went and sat down and was thinking, okay, they're gonna like let me see someone who's gonna tell me what I need to do because I'm pregnant, what vitamins I need to be on, that kind of thing. So I started filling it out and then I was a little confused about the questions. So I went back up to her with the clipboard and I was like, what is this for? And she said, do you want an abortion? And I said, no, I want my baby. And then she looked at me like, why are you here at the <laughs> hospital? <laughs> I was like, well, I thought you'd tell me what vitamins to eat or, you know, what I'm supposed to do now. So she gave me the phone number to, we call it there in Finland, Neuwala. It's like midwives who meet with you and give you all that information. She gave me their phone number and I walked home. So I wasn't actually close no, to getting. No, of course not. But, but she asked but, if it was unplanned. And yeah. You said it was unplanned. Yeah, it was fried. So she went and done this, this procedure. So here's the thing. Yeah. Abortion is not the problem. Pregnancies are the problem that people have. Yeah, I think, well... Like, first of all, governments are not killing babies. So when we talk about abortion... No. It's it, it's just not sensible, not sensical to to sort of say things like stop killing babies, stop killing my generation. Like, th there's not an epidemic of baby murder in the sense that that there's school shootings. Like, the government is not killing babies. Perhaps aside from the ones that are in cages, I would uh, say people. Yeah, people have pregnancies that are at some for some reason at odds. They don't see it as a happy thing. It's not right. viable for some reason. They don't, they can't imagine how can I raise this child when I hardly have enough money to raise myself or I right. still need to go to school so I can have that career to then pay for what I want to do. Right. Or I'll um, lose my, or, or, or there's no job protections for me as a pregnant woman. And so if I have this child, my career that I've been putting like the last 15 years into will be over. Or I'll have to start from zero however many years from now. Or if I have this baby, I only get like, I don't get any parental leave or I get like six months and so I'm going to have to go back to work and I don't actually like that. That's not in line with my values for children. So I would, better, I would rather not have this child than have it out of my integrity. Right. Or even the stigma. Stigma exists places where you're young and pregnant. You shouldn't have been pregnant. You're not married. You haven't planned this. You don't have your life in order. Right. You're so at least struggling to survive yourself. Let alone if you are the victim of assault or crime, that now you have the complexity of maybe this is not somebody I'm in a relationship with. I was assaulted, and now I have a, a pregnancy through through the complex scenario of rape, or. Maybe this even was a partner, but even still, perhaps it was non-consensual. Mm -hmm. So in Finland, where we lived for five and a half years, so Finland has actually, they were one of the first countries to legalize abortion and have a lower abortion rate than other first world countries. And I think a reason for that is the social welfare state and that when you get pregnant, you don't have to worry about these things. So what I mean by that is, I'm going to say free, but 
course taxes pays for this, but you've got free healthcare. You have, they have the most amazing actually healthcare for young babies. The government gives you a big box of gifts for that baby. Hundreds of euros clothes, worth of... snowsuit, a little bed and a mattress. Like all the they gels and creams and babies a good start. And... They are a pro-life government, I would say. They look at all aspects of life and make policies that are good for life. And so you don't need to worry about health care. Then maternity leave, paternity leave, and parental leave. That is a right for every person having a child. So when I got pregnant, um, I had my kids while we were doing the master's degree. And I went on maternity leave, but I wasn't leaving a job. I was leaving being a student. That was a, That's right. That was hilarious. So you started making money. Yeah. Because the government paid your maternity leave, even though there was nothing that you were leaving. Yeah. So it was they more care lucrative to have babies than not. In, yeah. in your scenario, in our scenario. Well, to be honest, I had been getting a student benefit because university, and that was the next thing I was going to say, that university and college is free tuition. And so just because you have a baby, it doesn't mean now I can't go to school. I can't right. finish what I'm studying. And then daycare is free there too. That's right. And so if you have a child, you can then put them in daycare. You can have your maternity leave, paternity leave, parental leave. It's very egalitarian society. Um, you can then put your child in free daycare and you can go to university and finish your degree for free and the child can keep going to daycare and then we'll start school and they have, as you know, the best primary education in the world. Yeah. Um, and your job is protected, whoever you are, the entire time. You can go back yeah. to a role at your employer, protected by law. Essentially, at any point. And by law, up until your child is eight, you can tell your employer, you know, I have this full time job, but I need to leave every day early because I need to go pick my child up. And that's protected. <laughs> it's protected. Whereas there in America, the land of the free, you work three jobs so that you can make ends meet. And not one of your employers will allow you to leave to facilitate your childcare because they don't have to. Yeah. And so then in Finland, you have actually, I would say it skews towards young, young girls, young women are having their babies younger, which is actually great for the government because they end up spending less on health care. Right, because it's healthier. Because they're less risky pregnancies. Yes. And so they're, yeah, it's, to be honest, living there felt like I'm living somewhere that feels like it's modeled even though it's a secular society after the bible we're taking care of widows they're taking care of children <laughs> taking care of um, everyone at every age and when you talk to um, we talk to our friends we talk to family no one's bitter about paying more taxes because they can see what their tax money is going to right. they know that those benefits um, and rights are there for everybody even if they're not at a stage in their life where they're benefiting from child care they know that when their daughter or son has right. a child their grandchildren their grandchildren will have child care right they so maybe aren't in a senior's home yet so. but when they get to that age there will be a senior's home and a place waiting for them yeah so here's here's the thing that's fascinating i think about so much of that is that we've we have been told in the evangelical world 
that abortion is the number one injustice facing the world today. I've, been, I've heard things like this for years. And it seems to me uh, that women have been dealing with pregnancies since the very beginning, that pregnancies have been risky and dangerous ever since the beginning, that humans have died, women, not men, that women have died in childbirth and have to deal with all of the ramifications of being pregnant, typically themselves, in every culture on earth, and is not that a greater injustice? Is, is not the lack of support, the, the lack of celebration, right? If a, if a society wants to be pro-life, they should do, in my opinion, everything necessary to ensure that pregnancies are always a cause for celebration. Mm-hmm. That they are always going to be viable in the life of the pregnant woman. Yeah. Surely, I would even go a step further to say, how can you even call yourself pro-life if you're not pro-whole life? Pro-whole life. Yeah. Pro, right. you want everyone having clean water, access to health care, all the supports we need in life. Right. Anyways, go on. I digress. Yeah, so, if, so you know, really, I think it's like, okay, so you have to say, if we are putting any credence in my earlier idea that there's like a mandate for a time, it's kind of like, okay, Holy Spirit, what are the injustices that you're looking to to move on right now? And again, my statement earlier was that it's not so much that, because I don't believe God brings change in society just by laws. Like, that's absurd. Like, that again, that's power over people, because how is law backed up? What is the rule of law? Like you follow the law because of the threat of violence, of incarceration, that the whole basis of our legal societies is if you break the law, you will be punished and it will hurt. And so the entire societal legal structure is built on the threat of punishment, the threat of pain. And God's kingdom is simply not built on that structure. Right. In yeah. first John, John writes that, uh, you know, perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. And so God is seeking to make us perfect in love. What is perfect love? Greater love has no man than this. I lay down my life for my friends. So the whole journey is that we would become, like I said earlier, cruci- cruciform people that we would be each individually transformed, not out of fear, but out of the love of the Spirit within us that would transform us to make us more like Christ so that we would be people who would lay down our lives in love for the world, to care for the world, to care for the people on our, to our, our neighbors and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. So this is the way that God brings about societal change, by facilitating transformation, by bringing about transformation, by making us more like His Son. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that when that happens, I guess, to a critical mass, then laws maybe can and should be changed to bring uh, about a reflection of the heart of people. And there's a push-pull, I guess, because the thing that's complicated for me in my head is is slavery, right? Like, people would say it was probably a good thing, and I would say it's a good thing that, that slavery was outlawed, like with Abraham Lincoln, right? That the nation wasn't yet ready to outlaw slavery, but it was a good thing that slavery was outlawed. And yet, it didn't solve the problem. 
right? Like Lincoln was actually a, a really pretty terrible racist. Hmm. There's a lot of really quotes I've been reading recently. Like this guy is not a hero. Like, yes, he changed the law, but his own heart was not in a changed place either. This is essentially a, the, the bugbear of, well, I can get good voter support on outlawing slavery because at this point it seems to be the right thing to do. But as we can see in 2020, hatred, greed, exploitation never went away. Hmm. Here's the thing that, that I was thinking about the other day. The issue, again, wasn't actually slavery. The issue was that some people thought it, that they had the right to capture other people, to make them work for them. And why would you do that? So that you can have more wealth, so that you can have more economic output with less cost for labor. Mm-hmm. So slavery is just a manifestation of greed. Of greed. Yeah. It's an exploitative outcome of greed. Yeah, if you went right back to the Bible, the Israelites working for Pharaoh. It's a it's a matter of, of free greed. cheap labor, right? Right. And so what what Lincoln Lincoln changed the laws on slavery, which seems like a good thing, and, I, and of course, like yeah, we should not have slavery, but what what we see is that that law has no power to change the hearts of greed. And and we look at now a nation today that I think many Americans and the rest of the world would say, ah, I see. Trump didn't cause these issues, but he brought illumination somehow to what was underneath the surface. That with his violent rhetoric, he brought he gave voice to these uh, to these other violent, hateful voices that were in society. He gave them permission to speak up. If there is a silver lining to this dark cloud. It's that now we get to see all the evil that was hidden. Now we can actually see the injustices out here that perhaps in the past, especially people of power and privilege like us, we were able to be blind to them. That right? is like, the hope that we can move towards healing, right? Like obviously if the, if, if the boot of injustice has been on your neck, you knew about this injustice the entire time. Mm. But those of us who weren't having to listen to the stories of others didn't necessarily realize that there was such racial hatred until fairly recently. We stay in a place where we're always listening to stories and not turning a blind eye. Yeah. To people. How do you think we move towards a more equitable, integrous, righteous society? It's a loaded question. Yes. (laughs) But... I've asked it to you. I'm the wise one. This is what I do to my guests on the podcast. Am I like the wise one? Basically, I, I, basically I do my best to ask them the most difficult questions. It's your Jeez. turn to be in the hot seat. Jeez. You've got six pages of notes. Well, it's not to do with that. It totally is. I skim read your notes. <laughs> well, okay. Let's give a practical example. So if abortion is your single issue that you're voting about, and you're going to choose a vote, you look for a party that um, can address all those supports needed. Has access to health care, has social programs, everything that we discussed that a mother would need, all the support she would need to be able to keep her child and that would be a viable option. You would look for a party, political party that can, that answers those. Right. 
So if you live in a country that has a, a, a multiple parties going on, you've got lots of choices, hopefully. Right. If you live in Canada, you've got a handful of choices. But again, that's going to shift from decade to decade. Even like in the United Canada States, it probably... Canada is so unique because really we just hear we need to get away from the polarization that the topic is only either you're for abortion or against and right. that we're willing to come in the middle and and discuss and put in regulations. Maybe we can, you know, accept abortion for the first trimester, the second trimester, but not the third. Um, right. There's no, you can't have a, a nuanced conversation like that in the Canadian political no. space. And so that's the first thing is, okay, I'm a Christian, maybe I'm opposed to abortion, but I can, that can be my belief, but I can still work on it um, or accepting or supporting um, a bill or a law that regulates abortion and would still allow certain certain abortion. And then, you know, now the baby is developed to a point where they can live outside the womb. So maybe they have the right to life now um, that they, that the woman's choice doesn't trump that baby's right to life because mm. they can live outside the womb. They're kind of now their own person. Right. But something like that would take compromise and would need the lobby groups and the church that's Christians that are really behind that lobby group saying... The lack of compromise. The lack of compromise and that they are not willing to talk about anything except... There's isn't that the, tr the tragic irony? That the Christian lobby is unwilling to compromise on, on anything but no abortion. And as a result of that, abortion happens ongoing. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, utterly unrestricted abortion. There is no legal ramification or no legal construct for anything to do with abortion in Canada. There is you can abort up to the day before delivery. We've and there is evidence there's evidence of post yeah. birth, post delivery abortion. Which is scary. So we've had cases, I think they were out in BC where mother has killed her baby after the baby's been born and the judge has ruled, well it's just like abortion. It happened after the baby was born, so it's fine. Right. And that is the fruit of churches, the of the Christian lobby in Canada. When was this? Like fifteen years ago or old longer? refusing to mm -hmm. compromise. Yeah. So if you live in America and you don't have a broad selection of parties to choose from, then probably the likelihood is, is that the, the political climate is shifting from decade to decade. Mm -hmm. I mean, I saw a thing from Beth Moore that was saying when, when, she, when Clinton was voted in, she was a registered member of the Democratic Party. And she grieved because she believed that Clinton was an immoral man. And by the time 2016 came around, she was a registered member of the Republican Party, and she grieved when Trump was voted in because she believed he was an immoral man. So you're probably going to need to shift your political you know, allegiances. Just don't have an allegiance to politics. No. Just don't have an allegiance there at all. Be allegiant to Christ. Yeah, just look at it as the issue, and then what factors are that influence that issue, and then choose your... I don't even think people single issue vote on abortion. I don't know. Is that really the thing that's plaguing people? I mean, if that, if, if that is what's in your, driving your conscience and that's what you feel the spirit is moving to you towards, fine. Like, be obedient to that voice and, yeah. and, and go and do it. But do it in a way that's, like, informed and holistic. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was reading these stats in, in, on the U.S. Um, 
from uh, Sky Jathani, I think, and Phil Vischer. And it was fascinating. He, they were pointing out that, that the rate of abortion has in the United States, like abortions per 1,000 live births or whatever the, whatever the technical measurement is, has decreased mm-hmm. under every single presidential administration since Roe versus Wade. So whether it was Democratic or Republican, mm-hmm. whatever the Supreme Court makeup was, the rate of abortion has been decreasing ever since Roe versus Wade. And that so, makes sense to me. And so, so what, to me that says that these, the things necessary to make a pregnancy viable in the life of the mother, mm-hmm. those factors are already moving in the right direction. Yeah. Under, under either political party, and regardless of the Supreme Court. And in fact, there's been times where, just to come back to that, that thing about the evangelical carrot of abortion and the Supreme Court, there's been times where there have been Supreme Court justices predominantly of a, of a Republican bent, and they didn't address Roe versus Wade. So there's no evidence to suggest that what you've been told about why you should vote for Trump in order to get Supreme Court justices, in order to get Roe versus Wade overturned, there's well, no evidence to suggest that's even a thing. The legal system, we look at cases before and we follow precedent, precedent. case law. So why do we think that they would overturn something? Like I don't even think there's precedent for Right. And if it was overturned, it wouldn't end abortion in the United States. What it would do is it would result in abortion becoming once again a state jurisdiction matter. And so you would end up with states that permitted abortion and states that didn't permit abortion. You'd have people crossing the border to find an abortion in a, in a neighboring state, which is what the people were doing worldwide 100 years ago anyway. Right. And there would be people having, there would still be abortions. They just wouldn't be as safe. They wouldn't be in hospitals. Because the issue is not the abortion. The issue is the the pregnancy isn't celebrated. And so then you'd have like women dying from abortions because they're not regulated and done through the state. So you're not actually addressing um, supporting those women and making that decision and celebrating that life and being pro-life. Right, which, 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 yeah, I think even to me has that tie into like safe injection sites. Like when I had, I had um, the mayor Cam Guthrie on the show, mm. he was saying that when when Guelph was looking at a supervised injection site, he was opposed to it because the only understanding he had of it was that basically it was just where junkies would come to get free drugs, and and it was like turning a blind eye to to a, a real problem. But when Guelph uh, did and, and it now has a supervised injection site, the impact is the exact opposite. Actually, what it means is that, because again, when we look at junkies, quote unquote, as like the other, as the evil, as the bad person, like we look at the woman getting the abortion as the evil, bad baby killer. When we look at them as bad, we miss out on their circumstances and we miss out on hearing their stories. And so Cam Guthrie was saying to me, like, the people who are in this site, like they are the most desperate, helpless broken people on the edges of society who are so stigmatized that no one will even look them in their eyeballs. That Jesus loves so much. And they can can go into Mm -hmm. a supervised injection site and build relationship with medical professionals and psychologists. And Cam said, you know, maybe it's not that day. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a hundred times later when that person, when the factors and the, issues in their life change to such a point 
that they are ready to make a change in their life. They know the people to say that they can talk to. Yeah, that's beautiful. It, even that's reminding me of that thing that we read the other the other day. Was it in BC about when they'd been giving homeless people this big chunk of money? Did you read that article? I did. I don't remember where it was, though. I feel like it was in BC, but it could have equally been in California, but I suspect it was not, where basically uh, they tr- did a trial run where they gave a bunch of homeless people, I think, $7,500 to mm. observe if, if, if you give them enough money, can these people make a meaningful change in their life or will they, you know, spend it on drugs and alcohol? And, and statistically, people made real change in their life. Yeah. That, that they actually know what they need. They know the problems they're facing. And if mm-hmm. you can give them a meaningful helping hand, they will get out of those situations. Hmm. If you give them $5, maybe they will spend it on beer because maybe that is the best way to get through today. I feel the same way. If I get an extra $5, I will spend it on beer. <laughs> you don't hate me for it. You don't look down on me or spit on me as I walk as you walk along the sidewalk. But... Uh, it's like, yeah, you need enough capital or you need enough resource to make a, a realistic change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add, my dear? We have gone long. This has been just over an hour, but I think we've had a great chat here. Hopefully people don't think we're baby killers now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Actually, yeah, there is something just um, – and I don't want to keep t- – coming back to this but there the topic of abortion it's it's just been so crazy and I've been sick to my stomach just watching Christians lash out at each other mm. talk to people the way they talking to people who aren't Christians on social media yeah it is like I don't even know like we all know Christ said you'll know like us by our love yeah you'll know his disciples by our love so I don't know like people's heads does that mean i'm loving in all spheres except politics and or in all spheres except how i present myself on social media whatever you say on facebook is not actually what you're saying so you're allowed to get away with horrible verbal violence yeah it seems like what are people who aren't christ followers think about christ followers and yeah i've just i think that's been quite shocking these last few months and also that destabilizing factor that you talked about of feeling like okay if these prophetic voices are right about Trump and the right in the way that they're delivering it and with their anger and their violent language so if they're right and God is in this then that's the character of God, but that's not who I know God to be. That's exactly. a very destabilizing feeling. Yes. Questioning. Where I think, like, where, sorry, where, where I think many of us have been living now for quite a while. Yeah. That's that kind of like pit in my stomach that I carry. Um, okay. So then let's say all those church leaders and people who've been you know, had influence in my life, let's say that, like I said, if they're right, then that's very destabilizing about who I knew God to be. If they're wrong, okay, that's okay. God is still the God who I know 
full of love, loves me, is gentle, has enough energy, has enough love, has enough resources and compassion for every person in every kind of, um, in every sphere, in every walk of life. He's not only compassionate about um, unborn babies, but everyone. Yes. Those struggling to um, access health care, those who are sick, those who are trying to work to make ends meet, don't know where their next meal is coming from, don't know how they're going to pay their rent, that God isn't like a single issue mm-hmm. God. So. Yes, I agree. Yes. So it is destabilizing then to hear all these Christian leaders who've had influence in my life, who I've looked up to, who are now, I would say, not representing the character of God. Right. And I'm like, oh, you kind of just lost that place of influence now in my life. Yeah. And I know... It's a horrible feeling. And I know, like I've said before, we all see and hear in part. And so maybe they're right about a lot of things and wrong about a lot of things. Probably and still that's have things okay. to teach us. I'm right about things and wrong about things. I get that. But it's just that, that character of God. That The thing that I think is most important is how we love. And yeah. I'm not seeing that love. Exactly. It's hidden. Exactly. And I think that's a horrible place that a lot of us are finding ourselves in. I don't think it's just me. Yeah, I agree. So with our topic, we were talking about abortion, and if that's the single most issue you're concerned about, that I think Christians should stop slinging mud at others who are voting for the Democratic Party, who might be Christian or might not, who are choosing whatever issue is the most relevant for them and what they're voting about. And maybe it actually is abortion as well. Mm. But they see those supports for that mom with an unplanned pregnancy, that the laws and the view and the policies that the Democrats would bring in are more helpful to that mother than the Republican Party. Wouldn't it be a shame that your fellow Christian is voting Democratic for the same reason as you. They're, right. you know, interested in To reduce saving the rate of babies. abortion and save babies' lives. Yeah. And they've spent time thinking about it, and this is what they've come to, that this party is um, more supportive. Yes. They're going to get their vote, and then people are, you know... Attacking them. Attacking them, yelling only caps on social media, Seriously. baby killer, and you don't care about babies. Seriously. And I just, yeah, it breaks my heart. I think my biggest challenge right now um, is, so if I believe that everyone should have a voice and can speak out, then I also need to respect these opinions Mm. um, of people who are saying things that I don't agree with. Mm. The trouble that I'm having is respecting when it's violent and full of hate yes. and bashing. And, and, and like full of obvious lies. That, that Maybe they're not lying, but maybe they've been duped into believing things that are really easily debunked. Mm. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah, that's hard. Okay. So. Uh, would you pray for us then to all do that well, please? Because <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> You're struggling. Pray for me. All right. 
Oh, Jesus, you've heard our conversation and how our heart just breaks with everything going on in our world. And we know that your heart breaks even more. You are the essence of love, God. Please help transform us, transform our hearts, transform us to be vessels of peace, to be vessels of love, that the words that come out of our mouth would edify, would encourage, would be would reflect your character, God, of who you are. Jesus, I just ask that our conversation would not be hurtful to any of the listeners, Jesus, that you would use these words to stir us towards compassion to each other, to an understanding, to love, and teach us how to love well. Yes, God. I feel like we could all use that lesson, God. Mm. Help us to just wake up each morning and draw closer to you and closer to being vessels that love really, really well, God, in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts, in our motivations. May you purify us, Jesus. Yes. Where we do have thinking that um, doesn't align with your word, God. May you open our thinking in a gentle way. Holy Spirit, may you, we just invite you to poke, poke at our hearts, poke at our minds, and expand our thinking, God. Yes, God. Expand our hearts, Jesus. And when we meet someone who doesn't have the same opinion we do, may you show us how to love them and open our arms up and accept them, God. We want the world to say, wow, those Christians love well. Hmm. Wow. I want to know, I want to know this love that they have. Jesus, please, 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 we beg you, help us. Amen. Amen. Can I say one other thing? Yeah. Okay. This is my first time on your show. Yes. Honey, and I just want to take the opportunity to thank everyone in your audience for listening to your show. Okay, don't look at me. You're going to make me cry. She's crying. (laughs) She's crying. Keep talking. I won't look at you. I'm composing myself over here. (laughs) I want to thank everyone who supports you monthly because essentially they're supporting me and us. And you are able to do what you love. And it's amazing. Oh, my voice. I'm full out crying now. Good thing I didn't put any makeup on, but I haven't for a long time. COVID. <laughs> there are tears rolling down. <laughs> I think you're trying to say thank you to people. I'm touched. I, am, I didn't, I didn't I am ask you to so do this. I am so touched. And as you can hear my voice and just how amazing it is to be able to watch you pursue what you love, what makes you come alive. And um, I think it's just like a beautiful bonus on top that all the messages you get every day of people thanking you for what you do. Thanking you for this show. Thanking you for the book you read. And um, just being who you are. You're such a gift. Thanks, honey. Thanks, everybody. It's true. Yeah, I feel the same way. I'm used to saying it, so it doesn't make me cry. But it means 
It means so much. It means so much to have your support. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast once again with me, Jonathan Puddle, and my wife, Maya, this time. So that was quite delightful. If you'd like to know more about us, we are children's pastors. We live in Guelph, Ontario. I'm an author. I've written a book called You Are Enough, Learning to Love Yourself the Way God Loves You. And I'm just glad that you're here listening today. Hopefully this has been a source of hope and encouragement for you. I'll be back again next week with another guest on the show. I hope that you have a wonderful week. Keep searching out the God of love. May his spirit indwell you and fill you with power, power to become like Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you.